Hello and welcome to a, another episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm your host, joined by my blue collar badass, Matt. How's it going, my friend? It's going good, man. It is uh, extremely, extremely busy around these parts, both with work and family. Um, it's going good. Lots of lots of fires and lots of test days lately, but you know we we can't complain. It's the industry we choose. Yeah. Well, are sports over yet for you guys? Is baseball? Hell no. <laughs> no, this is after this week. We should be able to breathe again. So, I gotta I gotta wrap up recording today and run to a, a baseball game. I've got about fifteen minutes to get there when we're done here. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you can make it. But uh, all right, guys. So without further ado, we've got a great guest for you guys today. Uh, Zach Burick is president and owner which we'll get to how uh you became that of uh duggan's welding and started back in may of 2013 uh while he was at charlotte university in engineering which uh this is going to be an interesting probably conversation on how you transitioned from uh going to construction management engineering technology uh graduating from that and being at duggan's welding to eventually take over the company bought it uh basically on Halloween of 21. So <laughs> that was a good time to, to celebrate everything uh, in the acquisition. So we'll talk about your first seven months <laughs> in, uh, as owner of, of Duggan's Welding and how you got there. And then also uh, just, and I, I really just want to start with this, but your West Y, and I hope I pronounced that uh, correctly, beard company that you I want to say you run it with your, your kids, but, uh, and the founding of that and why you created it, but, uh, Weston Wyatt and, uh, your wife, Nicole. So without further ado, Zach, welcome to the show. How's it going guys? I appreciate you having me. Been looking forward to this for a while now. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you coming on. I know we, uh, we had to bounce around a couple of times, but that's, that's the nature of the industry, right? That's it. That's it. So first off, uh, tell us about this beard company. I mean, for all of you that are uh, listening to this show, uh, Zach has a, a, a tremendous beard. So uh, it's obviously got something to do with it. I know the, the, the guys that, uh, that sport the beards, you know, are, are typically all about them. So <laughs> why start a, uh, a, a beard company after, uh, you know, doing Duggan's welding? <laughs> yeah I, I guess i got bored i didn't have enough i didn't have enough to do gonna so say, man. <laughs> I, had to, I had to pick something up now nah, but um i've had some some type of beard for i guess since high school really and used a ton of different types of products and uh, some good some mediocre and um after i spent a few hundred bucks with a single company for just a couple products i'm like surely there's a cheaper way to have quality products, right? And one would think, but when you go to ordering raw materials in bulk, it's really not much cheaper unless you turn it into a business and can kind of recoup some of the money. So I spent about seven or eight months in R&D, um, just reading, watching YouTube videos, uh, putting together you know, different blends until finally one of the guys that I was working with is actually up in Michigan. His name is Dan C. Bearded. Uh, he's got a huge following on YouTube. I was working with him prior to even launching the company, and he was very helpful. Uh, tried out every single blend that I that I came up with until 
finally we uh, we nailed it, and it's it's grown at a very fast pace, um, and within somewhat of a small community, they call it the bearded community on YouTube, um, but within that, Westwise has grown from new kid on the block to top five, you know, one of the most well-known companies in the industry or in the, the bearded community. Uh, wow. So super proud of that. Um, I guess I'm most proud of the name you mentioned at Westwise, named after my twin boys. They'll be two years old in just a couple months, end of August. Um, Weston and Wyatt, so it's just their names put together, Wes Wyatt. Um, but yeah, I think like like most of us that have kids, pretty much everything we do is for our family. So um, it's a, a huge part of everything that I do, um, and obviously translated over to the name. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and cut you off a bit for two reasons. One, I didn't realize your boys were that young. So not only did you buy a a construction business. <laughs> You've got two little rugrats and you started a, a, a side gig. So you're just obviously a glutton for punishment or something. But um, for those of us dudes that are uh, follicularly challenged in the beard department, what are you even selling? Because I, I don't I barely wash my hair. <laughs> so we've got beard oil, beard balm, beard butter and mustache wax. And uh, I'll send you a picture of a guy that used my mustache wax and won a national championship using it. I didn't even know that they had these competitions, but yeah, they've got mustache beard competitions all over the place. And uh, those guys take it serious. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I go crazy if I'm sitting still. So I, I, I find something to take my time up. And sometimes it, it makes me want to pull my hair out and there's a lot of, of gray ones in there now, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just cut from a different cloth, I guess. Uh, that's that entrepreneurial fire, man. It's, it's cool to see. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a necessary evil for me. Well, I tell you what, if I, if I ever figure out how to grow a beard, I will, uh, I'll give you a ring and I'll get some of your products. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Um, so let's switch gears back to, to why we're really here today. And, and let's, Talk about your your story. It, it sounds like a pretty cool one and, and one that's, I think, pretty similar to a lot of guys in this this world we live in. Um, but I'll let you tell it from your point of view. So how'd you get your start and and where'd you get to and how'd you get there? Yeah. How far back you want me to get out of the womb or college? Yep. yep day of birth. <laughs> okay. I don't remember that, but uh, they say that my mom was 18 when she had me, single mom, from, from the word go. Um the whole relationship with my dad, I mean, he was there, but it was like a every other weekend kind of deal. So um, kind of had to grow up fast. And as I got got older, um, I mean, I didn't go without. I played sports growing up, played baseball primarily and had friends, didn't, you know, again, didn't go without, but we were certainly um, low class at, at best, low middle class. Um, so Grew up on, on Medicaid, food stamps, free lunch at school. I mean, you, you name it, and, and we were there. But um, fast forward a couple of years, I kind of started understanding life. And uh, my, my great uncle carried me to the golf course when I was 12 years old. I started weed eating for 20 bucks a day, and I got to golf for free. Uh, and so as a 12-year-old kid, 20 bucks a day for three days a week and free golf was, was gold. Uh, <laughs> 
and I did that every summer um, while I was in school. Got my license, started working in retail as well as as doing the golf course deal during the summer. Still, um, graduated high school, um, just a just an average student. I don't remember where I even graduated um, as far as class ranking or anything. It doesn't matter. But from there, I was uh, I was poor and lucky enough to get some grants and scholarships. Uh, went to UNC Charlotte at the time. It's just Charlotte University now. And originally, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to teach math and I wanted to coach baseball. And ironically, the year that I graduated high school, was going to college. There were, I think it was 1,100 teaching positions that just, I mean, they lost their jobs and the folks that didn't took a 10% pay cut, which as we know, teachers don't make shit anyway. Sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on here. You're good, man. Um, okay, so teachers, they don't, they don't make near enough for what they do anyways. And so my grandma, who, you know, her and her mother, my great grandma, they had a huge impact on my life in raising me. And if it weren't for those two women, there's no telling where I'd be. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here right now, I'll tell you that. But my grandma, she convinced me to look at other avenues. She's like, you're, you're good at math. You like numbers. Um, on my dad's side, you know, I mentioned you know, it wasn't a super close relationship, but I was around them and, and they had a construction business. They were wood framers. They did houses and apartments and uh, eventually condos and things like that. And so she said, I want you to go into some kind of construction. And I had a teammate on my baseball team, grew up with him. He actually works for me now. He's an estimator and project, manage, project manager for me. He was going to Charlotte. Um, he was in the construction management engineering technology program that's a mouthful we'll just call it construction management but uh i'm like well shoot i'll just i'll follow suit i'll see what i can do um so went to charlotte graduated in four years by the grace of god um still work during school um i bought straight moonshine and cut it into what we call apple pie and sold it to pay for my books um had some student loans that I had to take out, which, you know, luckily I, I've always kind of been fiery and I got those knocked out not, not long after graduating um, while I was still in school. And 2013, started working here at Duggins, uh, which I was connected with the original owner and founder of the company through a baseball coach that I had growing up who is a steel fabricator. So I was talking to him. I knew he was in the in the industry, and I'm looking for internships. And uh, little did I know, intern just meant cheap labor <laughs> in our industry. So um, summer of 13, I started out in the field, um, learning how to just make up bolts and then mark centers on beams, and learned how to rig. And then I got in boom lifts, and started learning how to connect a little bit. Then I got out of the lift, walking the iron, learning how to lay decking. And so I learned a, a little bit about a lot of different things that summer after my junior year, went back to college for our senior year. And uh, I told my, my mentor, I said, man, I learned more in three months out in the field than I've learned in three years here. And he looked at me serious as could be. And he said, I know, that's, that's it. That's how it is. And uh, graduated, came back to work at Duggins. I was still out in the field for probably another year or so. And eventually just transitioned into the office, started estimating, started uh, project managing, and just, you know, from, I guess, 
14, 15, up until acquiring the company last year. You know, gradually just took on more and more responsibilities, day-to-day -day operations, the financials, you know, the whole nine. That's awesome, man. It's uh, quite quite a ride, it sounds like. So, you know, starting as a as a greenhorn on a a red iron crew, that's that's a different way of life altogether, right? That's <laughs> you guys are a different breed, right? I, I got mad respect for you, um, <laughs> but anybody that can walk on a a balance beam that high up in the air, basically, is it's pretty amazing. So props to you for for doing that and and just even considering it as a as a career you know i appreciate it yeah you you kind of hit the nail on the head there no pun intended but iron workers are a different breed for sure so you're now in charge of everything right um what hats are you wearing in the company these days all of them yeah i kind of figured <laughs> unfortunately that. Um, I will say we're we're finally dialing in our systems and processes. Um, my first and, and primary goal once I took over was to really establish and build the culture that I wanted. And you know, I I started doing that as what I you know the entrepreneur, as a lot of people say they they kind of treat a company as if it's their own while they're working in it. So that you know once that transition comes into ownership, you can hopefully start working on it, which, which we're getting there. I'm still working in it a ton. Um, but we're, we're finally getting the systems and processes in place where I can leave for a couple of days, you know, on a weekend trip, just like I did this past weekend. And things pretty much take care of themselves. Um, we've got a really good team. And I think any successful organization has to, um, you know, one person can't do it all. There's just no way possible. Um, but even still, you know, I'm, I'm doing the book work. I'm still project managing. I'm, I'm still estimating some um, scheduling. I mean, you name it. I'm, I'm not out on the iron anymore, luckily. But the team that we've assembled here uh, ever since I was out in the field in 13, 14 to where we're at now is night and day. I mean, you know, number wise, we've been. 30, 35 people, and now we're up to about 40, probably going to get to 50 or 55 this year and hopefully stay up around that area. Um, we'll just kind of see how things go. But it's just been constant growth, even since I was, again, the, the entrepreneur that I was until taking over. Um, but now that now that I've established that, you know, our core values and, and still building the culture and, and getting, getting things to where I want it to be, not that it was bad before, otherwise I wouldn't have bought the company and I've I wouldn't have been here for almost a decade before taking over, but it's just, you know, it's my baby now. Uh, that makes perfect sense. And it it's echoes a lot of what I've personally done and am doing currently. Um, so with 40, 40 plus people on your, on your payroll, Hey, that's a, that's a pretty big staff. Um, how many of those guys and men and women uh, stayed on after you took over? Was there a big, fallout you had to deal with or did most of them stick around no luckily the the majority of our team has been with us for you know we've got some that, that we've recently hired in the last year or two but most of our team has been with us for at least five years if nice. not more we've got i'd say probably 25 to 30 percent of our entire team has been with us for a decade if not longer wow. and so all of those guys 
I worked with or worked under while I was out in the field. And so I feel like even being a younger guy and, and taking over the company, they know me, they, they trust me, um, and I've got their respect. So we didn't see really any turnover. Um, we lost a couple people, not necessarily, I don't know, every, every employee or team member that we have is key, but they, they weren't forming and running jobs and things like that. Um, but overall, I mean, we've gone, we've, we've probably the net from the time I took over to where we're at now is probably a gain of about 10 people. Very cool. So my question is in, you know, you've been there for certain in 13 to now, so just about a decade, what, and to have 25, 30% of your, your team to be there over a decade, majority of people have been there at least five years. Um, what makes Duggan so special that people stick around, you know, in this day and age, and the reason I'm bringing this up, one, you don't see it. Two, people leave companies pretty frequently. And three, you know, hiring people <laughs> is one of the like number one problems that I think everybody has. Like I just recently read the Dell Tech Clarity Report, which all the architecture and engineering firms um, kind of, I guess, surveyed into, but uh, projects are up 17% and turnover is up 13%. So, I mean, for that longevity, you know, to kind of set the scene here, like it's a big deal and there's something special there. So uh, any, <laughs> any secrets you want to give away? I don't, I don't know if it's a secret, but uh, Derek Duggins, again, the, the founder and the original owner, he did a really good job um, building a team. And as I came on board, I really tried to encourage our guys, you know, it is a team. Employees, they, I feel like they show up late and they leave early. Team members like we have, you know, they understand we've got seven different crews and they understand that you know, if, if crew A is over here working on a project, it's going to directly or indirectly affect group B, C, D, E uh, on these different projects. Um, and even though culture and core values and everything that I mentioned a minute ago weren't necessarily a, a topic of discussion when Derek was, was in charge, it was still there, if that makes sense. It just wasn't, you know, I, I make a point about it just because I feel like it, uh, it helps our our team grow closer together, um, which goes to our, our number one core value and that's relationships. But um, even prior to that, again, Derek did a good job assembling a team and, and just kind of making everybody feel part of it rather than just being a number. Um, and we've got some intangibles that don't show up on a paycheck directly. Um, but I mean, if somebody wants to buy a harness and these harnesses are Cadillacs, they're four or five, 600 bucks. We'll buy it for them and just take a little bit out of their check each week rather than making them front all the money up front. Um, we also allow our team to bank time. So say they work 60 hours one week, and, you know, 20 of it's overtime. They can get paid for 10 of those hours overtime and they want to bank 10 of the others. Well, that's a net of 15 straight time. So in the winter, whenever the weather gets bad, if we're rained out or snowed or iced or whatever for half a week, then they can use that time that they've saved up instead of sick time or vacation or whatever, they can just use that bank time and don't have to worry about a smaller check. That's, that's a great idea. And to echo Dylan's point, I mean, and you got to see it with your competition and, and other, other trades nearby. I mean, it's, 
to have that many people with that that kind of tenure on your roster is is pretty impressive, man. Uh, it's special, and um, I didn't mean to cut you off. You mentioned, you know, the competitors and stuff. We've got a lot of team members that came from competitors, and I'm not one to go after, you know, people on, that are working for our competitors. I'm not going to steal anybody, but we've had several just word-of-mouth travels, you know. Somebody came from Company A to, to Duggins, and word travels. We got a, again, we got a good culture. We've established core values that we live by. It's just not a cliche, you know. Um, the big thing with that, a lot of our competitors are much bigger than we are, but they're working in 12 different states at one time, and we're doing everything here in North Carolina, except for a little bit of work up in Virginia, which we're close to Virginia. It's not too terribly far. Um, but, you know, our guys are sleeping in their own bed 95% of the time rather than living out of a suitcase like they used to. Which is huge. And the fact that you're you're attracting talent from other teams without, you know, going out and purposely poaching them, that, that's a testament to what you built. You know, that, that you. you should be proud of that, man. Um, you mentioned – is it Derek Duggins? Yep. Um, so is he still uh, a part of the company in any form? No, it was a it was a complete buyout. Um, however, he's still around because I, I didn't change anything. The name's still the same. I'm leasing the office that we've been in since 96, 98, whatever it is, whenever he built this place. He's got another company. Uh, I still consider it our sister company, Muddy Creek Motorsports. They do some really cool stuff with um, – mobile hospitality rigs they'll, they'll build custom trailers 53 foot trailers that have stages that fold down on each side nice um and he's still in the office most days so we see each other every day we don't talk as much as we used to just because i've got so much more on my plate now it's a good thing i'm hungry um but he's still around the relationship's still there and, and it's a good one he's he's been a huge i never even considered him a boss i've always called him a mentor He's, he's been very impactful um, for me, both personally and professionally. So when you when you finally made the decision to, to make this move and take the next step, was it day one he was no longer in, in your side of the office and was just out of the operations completely? Or did you have some sort of transition plan that kind of, tra you know, transferred power over to you? As far as the, the stock ownership went, it was completely mine on October 29th of 21, but in the contract, he was, he was still under contract with me through 21. Uh, granted, he had, he had gotten Duggins to a place that he really didn't have to work in the company at all unless he wanted to. So the transition was really smooth because I was already doing everything. I just kind of added a little bit more to it. Um, so, you know, Technically speaking, he was gone right at the buyout. But even even now, if I've got a question or need some advice or, you know, we're looking at jobs that we still haven't got retainage on, I can still go to, to him and his wife, Tammy, and, you know, we'll sit down and just like nothing ever changed. That's a good place to be. Absolutely. Yeah, you don't hear of too many being that uh, equanimable, you know, like easy transitions, you know, everybody's still friends after it, uh, but it kind of sounds like that was the natural progression of, of things and for you moving up through the company. Now, uh, one of the other things that I want to touch on is, I mean, for you to stay there that long, you know, as a ambitious driven guy, 
what were the things that allowed you to kind of move up through the ranks to, you know, to take on more ownership? Cause there's a lot of people out there that, you know, maybe don't put in their time or aren't recognized, uh, often enough, you know, for their efforts to get to a point where, you know, they, they can take those next roles or next steps. Um, you're waiting for somebody to die or retire or <laughs> change positions so you can take on more responsibilities, but, you know, for what it looks like for you, you obviously you moved up the ranks, took on more roles. Um, I mean, what advice would you have for somebody out there that's, that's looking to maybe take those similar paths is ambitious, is willing to take on more roles, um, in their company? For me, like I've always been super ambitious and, and always kind of stepped up as a leader, not, not because I want my name out there or anything like that. It's not a recognition type thing. It's just who I am naturally. Like I, I enjoy helping people. And I feel like as a leader, it gives me more opportunities to do that. And so even when I was out in the field early on, you know, I'd step up and if somebody needed help, whether I knew how to do it or not, I'm going to step up. And if I didn't know how I'm going to learn. Um, and I can't remember who said it, but well done is better than well said. So when you can just kind of, you know, get some, get some dirt on your boots and just get out there and get after it, whether you're learning it or you've been doing it for 10 years, just taking the initiative and stepping up and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, nobody on our team woke up one day and, and knew how to do everything that we do in the steel industry. It takes time for every single person. Um, but having that initiative and being willing to learn and to progress is a huge part of it. Um, now, as far as the, the ownership deal, Derek and I have been talking about it for the last six, seven years. Like it didn't take long after I started that I knew I wanted to take over eventually. And so I remember going to his basement as a 23, 24-year-old kid, and I'm like, hey, man, what's your exit plan? What's your exit strategy? You know? And he's like, who is this kid? He's full of shit. <laughs> and uh, a couple Woodford Reserves in, we're sitting there talking about what his plan is and what he wants to do in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't know that this acquisition was going to be possible and would happen as quick as it did. I knew it would happen eventually because when I set my mind to something, I'm going to do it. Like I don't, I don't have dreams, I have goals. And so I, I take action steps to get to those, those places that I want to get to. And I don't say that with arrogance. That's just, that's just how I am. Um, but, you know, start that initial conversation in the basement uh, led to another conversation times five. And you know, it was something that gradually is me more serious. And my wife and I, we just, we worked so hard financially, you know, mostly to, to save up what we could when we could just to be in a position for this acquisition to take place. And we went all in. We bet on our team. We bet on ourselves. And we're going to make it happen. That's awesome, man. That's <laughs> that, that whole burn the ships mentality is how you have to be to survive in this this industry right it's it's so cutthroat it's so demanding it's so competitive so it you know you're like i said your, your story is vaguely similar to mine um but i i totally get it i get what you're going through i get what went through your head like that's a big leap whether or not you've been planning it for six seven eight ten years whatever the day you make that you write that check or how whatever you did the day you sign the dotted line like your world changes immediately, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, it was a whirlwind. Like if you can bottle up every kind of emotion possible into into one, that's what it felt like. As I'm sure you know, you know Matt, you and I have talked through text and on the phone uh, several times now. Um, it's it's a very similar situation. It sounds like so. I know you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, man. I I remember when I first took over here. I remember sitting in my office, looking out the window, just thinking, what, what the fuck did I just do? Right. Like, oh, I left a, a high paying job with a, you know, a, re, a paycheck and, you know, all, the whole nine yards, but it's, you can't really explain it until you do it, you know, and it's, I wouldn't trade it for the world now, which I'm, I'm sure you have the same thoughts. So it's just, it's cool to see and talk to more and more people who are doing this. I agree, man. What, one thing I've, I've learned and seen one because we got so much work. I feel like a lot of people um, are kind of in the same boat. We've got more work than we have the manpower and equipment to handle it all. And so we're having to sub a little bit of work out now, but I've met, I bet I've met a half dozen subs just in the last few months that are plenty capable of doing the work that we do. Now we're giving them our smaller jobs and keeping a, a foreman on site that represents us and we're even you know, putting some of our equipment out there if they need it and aren't quite capable of renting it themselves or whatever. Um, but just, you know, helping, I won't say helping your competition, but just maintaining good relationships with everybody because one of these days while we're giving them work, you know, they're still helping us. It may, it may flip and we may, we may be in the same boat, just kind of vice versa. Oh, for sure. Are you guys union or non? No, once you come, I guess, you know, south, south of the Virginia, yeah, yeah there, there's some union just below it, but I guess the middle of Virginia, south, you don't really see any union work. And that was, that was going to be my point, you know, that building those relationships with your so-called competition is so huge because you don't have that option. Like when you need labor up here, if you're a union shop, you can go pull from the halls, assuming there's people still working that's a different conversation but you know you can you can bolster your forces if you need to um you don't have that option so you you know you took the right road being friendly and and you know building those relationships with competition or, or nearby you know similar trades whatever you want to call it you know that's going to provide years and years of benefit for you i'm sure yeah and it helps them you know I, i'm one that i i think if our quote-unquote competitors are doing well that's that's great for us too, because it means the opportunity's there. And where we're at now, it's a really weird time, not only in our industry, but just overall. Like I have never seen so much work available out there. Now, the problem with that is, no offense, but general contractors, they want more done in less time with less people. <laughs> and it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way sometimes. Um, so we're, we're juggling crews and people and equipment subcontractors and everything you could think of every single day. I mean, we just had, we had a scheduled meeting yesterday that lasted two hours and we just had another one today that lasted another two hours because things changed that quick. I believe it, man. Um, one thing that I want to bring up on the whole like competition and, and friendly with those in your area is like, on. so, I mean, my background's engineering uh, on the a &E side of it. Um, and we never really talked to our like other engineers, uh, even in our same towns, which, 
in the same, you know, I never saw architects really talking, which also there's a couple of things that go into that is that one knowledge doesn't get shared between uh, areas, you know, so you're not really learning anything more other than what's in your firm where you guys like, so I guess speak to that a little bit and then I'll come back to the whole competitive nature of the. <laughs> of On the that. design side of things. Well, just seeing the like knowledge share because you have guys that like, your sub and workout to guys, you know, I'm sure there's some knowledge transfer of this is how we do things or your foreman seeing different stuff. Like how, how has that helped uh, you and being quote friendly with, you know, your quote competition now, <laughs> your, yeah. you know, sub relationships. I think one, one thing that's worked well for us and I don't, I don't want to sub any more work than I have to. We want to self-perform as much as we can but when we are subbing it just having that representation from our company you know our, our foremen are very experienced and they know what they're doing so whenever we're able to give another smaller company an opportunity that's a it's a learning experience for them too because they may do something you know that our guys would do it differently and more efficiently so it, it's a chance for us to make people better um as far as means and methods but even for us we're just looking at best practices again there's there's competitors that are way bigger than we are um and one way a couple ways that we put ourselves ourselves in a position to to learn from from those that are bigger is organizations that we're part of such as SIA the Steel Erectors Association of America we're an AISC certified steel erector and so just getting in those rooms with people successful people want to help others succeed and so if you just ask the question you know how did you do this I saw you did a job in Nebraska and it's a similar structure to what we're doing here in North Carolina can you share any insight what were the the means and methods that you used to connect that beam to that existing structure or you know whatever um, so I would say for anybody looking to to just get better don't be afraid to reach out to your competitors. Don't be afraid to to look to those people that have been doing it for so long, especially if they're a little rough around the edges, like most of the older generation in our industry is. Most people, you know, as long as they've got a level head and they've achieved any type of success, they want to help others. So in terms of actual trade scope, Zach, do you guys, are, are you erectors only? Do you do fabricating? What is your your wheelhouse? The only time we're doing fabrications on the change order. Um, so it, <laughs> it came to the field and it was it was jacked up. Um, I say that kind of jokingly, but we we, uh, we supply labor only, so structural steel erection services. Um, we'll we'll come in, we'll stand the columns, we'll tie the beams in, depending on if it's a, a conventional structural steel floor or roof or whatever, as opposed to a bar joist. Um, so we'll do it all. We'll do the, the columns, the beams, and or joist, the metal decking that goes on top of it, the edge angle, the bent plate to carry the concrete once it gets poured on the floor levels. Um, if it's got some AESS, so architecturally exposed structural steel, all the pretty stuff, uh, we're, we're welding it, grinding it smooth and touching it up. Um, see, the, the only thing that we don't do that's part of our scope is the Nelson studs that get shot through the deck into the beams, yeah. adheres to the concrete once it gets poured. Um, we don't do any miscellaneous as far as 
like ladders, stairs, rail, that type of stuff. There's a there's a second miscellaneous erector that comes in usually after we're finished to fill the stair shafts and um, put up all the rail and stuff. But in a nutshell, um, it's it's the structural components of the the main frame of the building, and we'll do anything from a one-story retail retail shop or a canopy addition to a building to a 13, 14-story high-rise hotel. Uh, we got a, a big five-story freestanding building uh, at a university coming up. We're starting next week, so nice. um, we do all kinds of different stuff. Ugly renovations that nobody else wants to touch. <laughs> we, uh, we're versatile. Conventional only, or do you do uh, pre-engineered swamp iron? Nope. <laughs> No pre-engineered. I've got one foreman that that's what he started with. And so if there's a small, you know, three, 4,000 square foot pre-engineered building, we might take a look at it. The last two additions we've done here at the shop, that foreman that I'm talking about has done those. Um, and we, we bid one or two, but that's not our, that's not our honey hole. Gotcha. I always laugh because I have conversations with my, my steel guys up here and it's like, it's like asking them to sell one of their kids, asking them to look at a, a pre-engineered building. So I, I was just curious what your take would be. Yeah, they're, they're just different, man. Like the pre-engineered guys, it's still conventional steel, you know, but the pre-engineered guys, even the drawings are different. Like we go off center lines, they've got a, a single point. They're going 23-6 from this point. And it's just weird. But they, they're also putting up the, the wind girts and the siding and the roof and the whole nine. Yeah. We don't have to worry about any of that. We put the building up, lay the deck, and then we're gone. No, that makes sense. Yeah, so the other thing that I wanted to circle back on in kind of the competition with it is just in the engineering and architecture world, like some of this, I've worked in both A and E and MEP firms to where on the design side, you know, especially in A and E firms, architects are pretty egotistical. So uh, no one's ever heard that before, but <laughs> <laughs> where, um, you know, they don't want to really share necessarily best practices or a lot of that. So, you know, working in an A&E, uh, especially because most of the time the architects are at the top, you get this kind of insular piece of it, but in uh, where that expense or ex extends to is uh, if you ever leave a firm, you know, it's like you're an outcast, you're, you know, not welcome back, but, and obviously for you guys, like you've kept everybody, so you haven't had to worry much about, you know, the boomerang uh, effect and the guys coming back or anything like that, but from kind of attraction or culture core values in, you know, maybe if somebody does leave um, in like, kind of how do you treat those people on the way out? Because personal experience, you know, like i I got an opportunity to go and lead a department, you know, and at 25, I was going to have to wait for my boss to get hit by a bus or retire in 15 years. Like that was, that, that was the trajectory. Right. Um, and I didn't want to wait 15 when I could do it today type of thing. And, you know, it wasn't the best treatment out the door. So for some of that and opportunities and, and taking those, which is kind of why I was asking about the, you moving up the ladder earlier, but just in, you know, out the door, treating people well, um, culture, like that. <laughs> the any the design community is not so good about that, where I feel trades are much better about like, because that guy's going to probably come back at some point. So 
I don't know if there's a real question in there, but <laughs> your two cents on it, Zach. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been fortunate to keep a lot of people, but we've also had that that short time turnover where you know, somebody will chase a dollar or two and they're working 70, 80 hours a week. So they're getting overtime and per diem because they're out of town and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it does get back to that culture and our core values because even if they come back here um, and they're working, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, they're sleeping in their bed most nights and you can't put a, a dollar value on, on time with your family. Um, and so that that's what's attracted and retained a lot of the people that we have. But, you know, if somebody leaves, I was talking to uh, talking to my buddy. We just got back from Dallas at an event down there over the weekend. I said, man, I had a revelation on the plane. He said, what was it? I said, obviously, we're in the construction industry, but me personally, I'm in the building industry, and I want to be that guy that builds every single person that comes through our door and serves on our team. I want to build them up to be the best person they can be. And so, again, that's why relationships are number one for us. And we just had a guy a couple months ago, he came to me, we had a good conversation, sat down, he was talking about his goals and what he wanted to do in life. And if I can just be a stepping stone to help somebody get there, then I, I've done my job. It doesn't, doesn't offend me for somebody to go out and, and better themselves. Um, where it gets kind of touchy is whenever they're leaving us for a competitor, that, that stings a little bit. But even then, it's all about how they come across. Like, are, are they a jerk? And it's, if you, I'm going to work for such and such, or is it, hey, I've got this opportunity. I think I want to take it. Well, the response is going to be a whole lot different. Um, if it's, if it's the, the latter, then, okay, try it out. I know you're going to come back, and uh, hopefully we have a spot for you. But, yeah, we've had several guys that have left and, and come back because the grass ain't always greener on the other side. And then we've had people leave that we probably should have quit before. Um, good riddance. <laughs> so, Zach, we're kind of pushing up on time here, but I, I want to ask you our uh, question we ask everybody that comes on the show. And, and you and I, like you mentioned, we've had some conversations offline and I know you're a fiery dude, so I'm I'm excited to hear your answer to this. But what do you see right now is is the biggest problem in our industry, um, industry wide, and and then also what do we do to solve it? Yeah, I think directly it's just finding people, and more importantly, finding the right people. Um, a lot of us are just kind of you know if somebody walks in the door, they're hired because there is so much work out there right now, and. I don't know. I think it's it's okay at times to do that. You know, we'll hire plenty of people that have no experience in what we do, but if they're eager and willing to learn, we're going to give them a shot. Um, so I'd say, you know, the most immediate issue that we're seeing right now is the workforce and the decline in it. Um, but I think that's just that's just the end result of what the bigger issue is, which goes back a decade or two into the, the education system where all anybody in school ever told you was you got to go to college or you're going to be a broke loser for the rest of your life. Well, I hate to tell you, that's not true. We've got foremen making 80, 90, up to a hundred thousand a year here. And we're in North Carolina in an area that's one of the most affordable places to live in the country. And not only are they making that kind of money, they have no student loans to pay off. They don't really have any debt unless they're just stupid with their money. 
Um, so I think the root cause to the issues that we're seeing now goes back to the education system. And even before that, everything, no matter what it is, whether it's construction, whether it's the food industry, hospitality, whatever, everything starts in the house. And so if we can get back to having you know, good family core values, which our core values here are my personal core values, and we can establish those at home, eventually it's going to translate into the, to the local government, which has a big impact with the education system. And once we get people in the education system that tell people, hey, it's okay if you don't go to school. Hell, I didn't have to go to college to, to get to where I'm at. Sure, it helped, but I don't think that the four years that I spent to buy that expensive piece of paper is why I've become you know, somewhat successful in some people's eyes. Um, that's a long-winded answer, and I hope it I hope it answered the question, but I think everything starts in the house. Um, the, the end result of the industry kind of declining with the workforce and the, the quality that we're able to get or not get um, goes back to education. And I think we need to fix our education system in the country that we live in. And once we do that, I think a lot of industries are going to improve. Man, that wasn't long-winded at all. In fact, frankly, I think that's one of the better answers uh, the more eloquent ways of putting it that we've had on and you're, you're spot on the, the way we fix not just the industry, but this whole damn country starts at the dinner table and people need to start recognizing that, you know, that we could talk for hours about the education system and, and the last 10, 20 years of, of dogma that they've created. But I think we're all on the same page. We all, we're all in agreement there, but it, change starts at the dinner table and, you know, you've got little guys, I've got not as little guys anymore, you know, pushing core values and work ethic. It shouldn't be just something that we talk about on a podcast, right? It's got to be driven home. It's got to be driven home in the home. And I'm going to write that down your answer because that, that's going up on the, <laughs> on the show notes and the website and everything. Cause that was perfect. <laughs> I appreciate it. Give me credit the first two times and then, then you can have it. You got it. <laughs> you just used one of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I'm a farm kid. Like I grew up on a farm, uh, did 4-H my whole life. Like, you know, nobody works harder than a farm kid, you know, like by and large Absolutely. that, that do that, you know, a few guys that I know, like they grew up in mechanic shops and working on cars, you know, they got some work ethic, but, um, you know, understanding just farm work ethic is a whole different different scope and and then understanding where your food comes from is a whole other thing too but for sure uh, zach if they want to reach out if they want to contact you where's the best place to do that i'm pretty responsive across the board uh, i'd say just a dm on instagram or a message on facebook is the easiest way to get me um it's at zach burick c-a-c-h-b-u-r-i-c-k uh, according to white pages, I'm the only one in the country, so I'm not hard to find. Um, I've also, I, you know, I've got all kinds of stuff on my personal page from my music that I used to play 80 to hundred shows a year to my beard company, to Duggins, to the cattle that we got up the road, to my boys and my family. Um, so if you, if you want to get to know me, I'm, I'm not hard to find. And I enjoy talking to people. If you got any questions about anything, I'd love to, to help if I can. Well, you just uh, you just secured yourself on a return visit to the podcast. Now that we know you used to be a musician and you've got cattle, there's there's plenty more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, again, I'm sorry if I get a little long-winded. I'm I'm pretty passionate about everything that I say and do. So that's, just trying to just trying to help the world one person at a time. That's it, man. It, it shines through in the way you talk. So I, I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thank y'all for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, from two long-winded guys, you were not. <laughs> so that was nothing. Yeah, yeah. I uh, tend to go on for a long time. But no, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, the the culture that you're building there and the longevity of the guys that you have, I mean, that that speaks volumes in and of itself um, and doing that. And uh, um for those of you that, that aren't going to watch the video, if we ever actually post it, but uh, on the background there for the kind of iconic picture of the Empire State Building and the guys sitting on the, the beam, I mean, that's a big deal. You know, that's how we built this, uh, this country and um, having, having that, you know, up there and um, showcased is, is a big deal. You know, like I think people forget that it's guys like that with their metal uh, tins and lunchboxes sitting up on a beam. Uh, you know, erecting the Empire State Building is, you know, how this country was built. So for for guys like you that are willing to climb up on, uh, on steel uh, a couple hundred feet in the air, you know, we couldn't have done it or built this country without you guys. So appreciate you, the work you're doing, uh, the team, the core values that you're instilling and in the, the people around you and just having good conversations and uh, building people one conversation at a time. So again, thank you so much for for coming on we appreciate you and, and guys go follow zach give him a, a follow on instagram or uh facebook and zach we uh will look forward to having you back on and, and talking more about core values and growth and in a year you know maybe you be in at 60 or 70 so and again i really appreciate it i appreciate what you guys are doing thank y'all for putting this on thank you for having me and if i get the, the opportunity to come back i'll jump all over awesome that's this episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. Until next time.